0: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is Megan Urpino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show.
1: I touch more.
0: New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Piddle, he dives and he did Touchdown, 49ers! Piddle! He's going to Touchdown!
1: What is going on, folks? Welcome to Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. This week's episode is sponsored by BetOnline.ag and Blue Chew. My name, as always, is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for NinersNation.com. And not joining me this evening is my co-host, Eric Crocker. And I know as some of you are hearing that, you are substantially disappointed. But Crocker is on his way to Arkansas. He is, I don't even know if he's talked about this on social media or said anything about it on the podcast, but he is moving to Arkansas, uh, I believe primarily to uh, to finish college where he went to, uh, where he originally went to school, um, and that's what him and his family are doing currently right now. Uh, he sent me a picture yesterday, um, he had stopped in Arizona, and him and the family were doing some hiking, and normally we record on Tuesday nights, and I had texted him, was like, hey man, what are we talking about tonight, What, are we, what are we what do you want to hit on? And he, I didn't hear back from him, which is obviously not normal. And he it took me a while, it took a while to text back, and it kind of just went, and and it even even left me on red for a while. Um and I was like, damn, what's going on? This isn't typical Crocker. Finally I get a picture of him and the family camping or not camping, excuse me, hiking in the mountains in Arizona. He's like, hey, I took this picture for you, but it took forever to send because we're in the mountains. I didn't have reception and then we got lost and I didn't get back to our car until nighttime. It was super funny. So Crocker's obviously out there doing other things, intense things, life altering things, um, you know, pick packing up his family and moving to Arkansas. So you know I, I touched base again, again with him today he's doing fine traveling so good so obviously today we are going to miss Eric Crocker um, in striking gold but we'll get through it together you and I will do this um, first thing I wanted to talk about today is just something that's been I, I wouldn't say it's been argued about on social media it, or it's been talked about that's for sure I could I could go with that. Uh, it's George Kittle's contract and what that means to the 49ers and, and what it should account for and what amount it should be and what his value is to the team and kind of all those things. Because John Lynch um, spoke with uh, NBC Sports' Matt mayoko, uh, pretty much the, uh, the end-all, be-all 49ers beat writers, and said that he obviously wants George Kittle to remain a 49ers for life type of deal. You know, obviously he's gonna he's gonna stay here. You know, that's kind of what he was saying. But he said that contracts like George Kittle's take some time. Uh, I mean they're essentially going to make him the highest paid tight end in the NFL by a large margin. It's going to and you hear this all the time, you know, reset the tight end market, reset the reset the wide receiver market. A lot of those contracts where people say that, they're not actually doing that. They're just making that person, that player, the highest paid player at that position. They aren't necessarily resetting the market. To me, when someone says resetting the market, they are completely reestablishing the value of a tight end in George Kittle's case. And that's what he's going to do. So if you take a look at contracts in regards to tight ends, now, I, I guess before we do that, you should kind of, I should kind of briefly encapsulate what George Kittle has done since entering into the NFL. He had a, you know, an average rookie year. You could tell there was something there. And then he completely blew the doors off in, in year two, uh, setting the record for receiving yards for a tight end. You know, he had 88 catches for 1,377 yards. He averaged 15.6 yards per catch. He scored five touchdowns. He was an an absolute beast. And and when on on the, the touchdown catch where he broke the record, the entire Rams defense knew it was going to him, and they still couldn't stop him. That's the type of player that George Kittle is. And I would also like to add that that is not even mentioning his value as a blocker, which anybody that knows George Kittle knows he's a better blocker than he is a receiving threat which is by no means an insult to anything about George Kittle's game. He's just that good of a blocker. He completely transforms the offense. We saw that when the 49ers played Seattle um, at home middle of last season. You know, George Kittle wasn't there, and it, it just – everything changes. It's just different. The run game changes. Uh, the pass game changes. All this, You know, imagine any offense losing their most prolific threat, whether the ball is coming to them or not, and, and you know, things are going to change. So obviously George Kittle is an incredibly valuable asset to the 49ers. And simply making him I, I we're probably going to now we're probably going to enter in the in there, enter into the realm of my opinion. Um but it also could also be considered fact just by the what you can expect. Saying George Kittle is going to be the highest or excuse me, making George Kittle the highest paid tight end isn't enough. It's just it it doesn't encapsulate. It doesn't Accurately portray the value of what George Kittle is to a team. You go and you look at the tight end contracts. You know, I mean, as far as this year, Hunter Henry's making ten point six million, so he's technically, and as far as average per year, the highest paid tight end right now. But the next behind him, um, who just signed with the Browns, is Austin Hooper. And he got a 42 million total value contract, and he's averaging 10.5 million per year. He got 23 million guaranteed. And then right behind him is Travis Kelsey with an, a total value of 46 million, and he's making 9.3 million per year, and he got 20 million guaranteed. Neither of those tight ends, and this is no disrespect towards Travis Kelsey, are George Kittle. Travis Kelsey, a, a not. Strictly a receiving threat, but primarily a receiving threat. Nobody cares what Travis Kelsey does in the run game. Travis Kelsey is a big-ass receiver, and he's incredibly talented. Austin Hooper, a little more well-rounded, but still nowhere in the realm of what George Kittle is. And George Kittle is a primary threat in the receiving game, and he's a primary threat in the run game. He will be the reason the team breaks off a 60-yard touchdown run, or he will be the person that catches a 60-yard touchdown pass. He's just I mean, you couldn't and, – and this also, you could go on to, to even consider the type of personality and, and the fact that he's basically like an electric superstar for the team. The dude has spent his entire life watching WWE and knows how to – channel that into a personality that, and it's his own personality. It's not like it's an act as if it was a WWE character, but you can see that in him. He loves the theatrics. He loves being a goofball. He loves the spotlight. There is nothing about, I mean, look at George Kittle's video when when Joe Staley retired. That'll tell you all you need to know about this person. So you take all that together. Take George Kittle's personality, his leadership, what he brings to the locker room, his ability in the pass game, his ability in the run game. And there really is, you look at the top list of tight ends, do any of them accurately reflect what George Kittle should get paid? No. They just don't. It's not close. George Kittle is going to reset the tight end market. And and I say that meaning what he gets paid per year is not going to be close to what Austin Hooper gets paid per year or what Travis Kelsey gets paid per year because he's better than those guys. And he's more valuable to the 49ers than – well, I mean, obviously Travis Kelsey is a huge part of the Chiefs' success. I it's tough to say that. But Travis Kelsey to the 49ers is, you know, he's a he's, it, he's still in his rookie contract and he's already established himself as a core of that team. The nucleus, the center, the most invaluable. So what I, what you can do is you can jump over to the wide receiver contracts. And if you could look for any correlation in production, that will put George Kittle, like, you know, what I did is I started looking at the, you know, Devontae Adams. I pulled up Devontae Adams' stats. He averages right around a 1,000 yards per year. Last year, he had 83 catches for 997 yards and five touchdowns. Devontae Adams, playing with Aaron Rodgers, by the way, is making $14.5 million per year. You have to realize that George Kittle's agent and George Kittle himself, are going. they're going to look at the at the production there and they're going to say, look, I, I understand what these other tight ends are making, but I am more productive than these wide receivers making 14, 15, 16 million a year. I am more productive than Devontae Adams, Jarvis Landry, Adam Thielen. Adam Thielen had, had some pretty solid seasons, but it's, and, and, and again, you're going to look at those. Those are wide receiver receiving numbers where they're pretty much their sole responsibility is to catch passes. And George Kittle is far more valuable than those guys. It's so, I mean, I, I don't necessarily have a prediction for George Kittle's contract, but if Austin Hooper is making $10.5 million per year, I'm thinking George Kittle is going to be making $14 million a year, $15 million a year with, with, double their guarantees. Austin, I mean, Austin Cooper was guaranteed 23 million. Maybe George Kittle's guaranteed 40. Are you going to argue with that? Like what, you know, what are you going to say? Are you going to tell George Kittle he's not worth that? Because the moment, I mean, the 49ers got a first round pick to, for DeForest Buckner. The moment anyone even gets the slightest hint that the 49ers aren't thinking about paying George Kittle, it would open up the floodgates. And at that point, it's tough to justify not paying a player like that you don't just let players like that walk out the door so George Kittle's is gonna make a lot of money a lot of money I'm like I'm saying 14 15 16 million a year 30 35 40 million dollars guaranteed and is there anybody out there that's really gonna be upset about that I hope not the dudes earned it in every possible way you can it's just the way it is you should be you should be happy to pay guys like that He's a wide receiver one for the 49ers. He's a reason their their runs get, you know, he's he's a primary blocker. Uh, he can handle a defensive end one-on-one. I mean, that's crazy. That's crazy right there. So, anyways, that's that's those are my thoughts on George Kittle. Um, if you don't agree with him, hit me up on Twitter, at Rob underscore louder, L-O-W-D-E-R. Tell me about it. But, I, I, I mean, I'd be willing to put, I'm not a betting guy, but I'd be willing to put a little bit of money down on the fact that George Kittle is going to get up there into the, uh, 14, 15 million dollars a year and if he doesn't I'll be surprised I'll feel like the 49ers got a steal and they did their contract magic and you know all that stuff so and then uh, today and actually Jimmy Ward is talking to with the media right now I just didn't want to put off recording the pod anymore um, but the 49ers had some media availability and then uh, Eric Armstead was talking to talking to us first and you know, there wasn't a whole lot of new stuff coming out of Armstead you know he, he said the biggest thing about the current COVID-19 situation. It's just that he misses being around his teammates He misses being around his, um, and the coaches and, and like beginning that season long journey the way he's used to, you know, and right now the entire team is relegated to like zoom meetings with coaches and position groups and team wide meetings. Like that's all they can do right now. They can't, we can't get together. And that's why you're starting to see a lot of uh, rumors, stories, possibilities of teams packing up and moving to other states that have less restrictions. And, and you can bet your ass the NFL is going to consider that because the NFL wants their season to carry on as close to normal as they can. So if teams are, have to move to other states to start practicing their and within their off-season programs and if they have to move to conduct training camp or if they have to, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, when you start getting into games, do they have to play in other stadiums? These are all real possibilities that, I mean, obviously no one wants to hear. I'm sure plenty of people listening to this podcast or season ticket holders or people that constantly buy tickets to 49ers games and the prospect of not even getting to go see your team throughout a whole season. It sucks. It's horrible. It's, it's like nothing we've ever seen before, but it's a reality of, of where we're at right now. It really is. You know, and there's still the, rea- the possibility that NFL games won't be played in front of fans you know, can you, with the way it is and how we're going to have to ease back to normal life from the coronavirus scene, and can you imagine anytime soon gathering 70,000 people together to sit shoulder to shoulder? It's just, it's crazy. It's crazy. So obviously Armstead was, was you know, he, was, he talked about how, you know, he just missed that normal start to the season and how they're not getting that right now. He also said that he was, he was shocked at the DeForest Buckner trade. Now, he said this before, and what was interesting, what he did say, is that he, he said that he never considered that there was a reality where the 49ers couldn't afford to pay both him and Buckner, which is interesting because what the 49ers essentially did is they realized that DeF- Eric Armstead was more within their price range and But DeForest Buckner was more valuable, so that's why they traded DeForest Buckner, and that's why they were able to get the 13th overall pick, you know, and it, 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 you have to wonder, it's, I mean, not really wonder, but did Eric Armstead realize when he was signing that contract that he was basically, you know, contributing to DeForest Buckner being shipped away? Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't, but... You know, I, it's not that he wouldn't have signed it. Obviously, these two guys are not attached to the hip. They've been together since, you know, college, but it's just interesting to hear Armstead talk about that because, from an outsider's view and the way it all went down, it was obvious that the 49ers felt they could only keep one of them and they chose Eric Armstead because he was about what, what sounded like about four or five, $6 million a year cheaper. And when it comes to re-signing somebody like George Kittle and the 49ers are going to need all they can get so it was and, and again it was also had to do with the fact that Deforest Buckner was more valuable so interesting situation you know it's got to be a little bittersweet for Armstead who has you know spent four or five six no like six or seven years with with DeForest Buckner along the same defensive line as him and now they're separated for the first time so you know that's got to be interesting for both of them um, he also said that replacing DeForest Buckner is not going to be like a Javon Kinlaw thing. It's not going to be just up to him. There's going to be other players that have to contribute. It's going to be a rotation to replace that kind of production, which is obviously true. DeForest Buckner was an absolute Iron Man. Unreal. Just played like 99% of the snaps like clockwork since he was a rookie. And it's going to be tough to replace that. DJ Jones, Javon Kinlaw, you know, Solomon Thomas. Kevin Givens, if he if he takes another step forward, I don't not sure what to expect from Ronald Blair. You know, all these guys are going to have to be stepping in there, and they're going to be rotating, which is a good thing because you get you get you know you get fresh legs out there. But at the same time, you're you're relying on a rotation to replace one star player. So we'll see how that goes. You know, that's that's going to be one of the things I'm watching throughout the the season is is the it will what will be if there what'll be the drop off on the defensive line, and will there be any? Will they get better? I, I don't know. I don't know. I have a very, very high opinion of DeForest Buckner, but maybe they maybe they get better. Another season for Nick Bosa? I mean, come on. That dude was unreal. And another season for them to all gel together. Um, right after Eric Armstead was Devo Samuel. He met with the media, too. And he had some a, a few more interesting things to say. I think it was apparent that Devo Samuel was a bit less tepid. That's the correct word. He's a bit less timid is is a better word. I mean, I'm gonna look that up right now. Tepid, only slightly warm, lukewarm, showing little enthusiasm. I mean, that still works. He just when his rookie year, he was he was just a little you know quiet and kind of reserved. Seemed a bit more outward when he met with the media, and he seems like you know he's ready to embrace that year two role. Um, And he seemed focused on establishing himself as like a leader, you know, and, and he knows that he, he was able to see firsthand what bringing somebody in like Emmanuel Sanders did for him during that latter, latter half of the season. Obviously Emmanuel Sanders left after the year to sign for the saints. Um, But he said that he wants to try and take up that role. And obviously he's nowhere near the, the veteran that Emmanuel Sanders was, but he wants to begin establishing himself as that type of player and that type of contributor right away, year two, you know, and and he said the first thing he did after the 49ers drafted Brandon Ayuk in the first round was hit up Wes Welker, receivers coach, get Ayuk's contact information and called him up and say, look, man, this is going to be tough, especially for you. You can't be here. You can't be with the coaches. You can't, you know, be here to learn. So, you know, one, lock in, be ready. It's going to be tough. I know how he, Debo Samuel says, you know, essentially he knew how tough it was having gotten the opportunity to be there. Now with COVID-19, Brandon and basically relegated to zoom meetings. So Debo Samuel knows it's going to be tough. And he immediately reached out to him and walked him through that. And I think that's impressive, you know, and, and Brandon, I, and Debo Samuel can be a special pair. Debo even said that he's like, he's, I see a lot of my game in him. You know, and, and that's, Brandon Ayuk isn't quite as, as thick as they would say as Debo, but they play very similar. They're both great route runners. They both are not shy going over the middle. And they both break tackles and they both produce yards after the catch like crazy. And it's very cool that the 49ers have two receivers that are both capable of that. Because, like I've said in the past, you have to, if, if both those guys are playing on the outside or wherever in the slot, it doesn't matter. You have to respect the motion. We saw what the 49ers were able to do um, with sweeps with Samuel in the Super Bowl and and, in the playoffs, and the 49ers are going to add more of that this next year. So, you know, and and with a guy like Ayuk, they're going to have to respect the motion the same way as if it were Debo Samuel. You know, so it's – and we all know that Kyle Shanahan loves motions. He motions more than anybody else in the NFL. So he's going to be – moving those guys all over the place to try and create mismatches. He's going to get them open, and then he's going to be counting on those those guys. A lot of times a touchdown is one missed tackle, especially when you're on the perimeter. Maybe two, you know, and and that's what Kyle Shanahan's counting on. Look, I'm going to scheme you guys open. I'm going to give you as much open space as I can give you, make this guy miss, and score some points, you know. It'll be interesting to watch. I'm excited about those two. I really am. I really am. It's going to be crazy. What else did Debo talk about? Um, he also talked about Jimmy Garoppolo, said that he is just as much of a coach as any of the other coaches and the way he reaches out. and The big thing that immediately popped into my mind, do you guys remember that video that was released? That's, uh, I think it's called Turning Point, NFL Turning Point, that was released after Garoppolo's 2007. I don't know if it was the 2000. I think it was after the Titans game. And it basically showed multiple angles of Garoppolo's game-winning drive. And you saw him talking. He had just gotten to this team. And he was already pulling Marquise Goodwin to the side, on the sideline, saying, look, when you hit the top of your route, give him a little bit of this. You'll get open. I'll put it right on you. You'll get yards after the catch. Be a football player. He's talking to Trent Taylor, saying, look, give him that shake. They can't cover you. They know it. I'm going to hit you. Like, he just immediately – I mean, he spent so much time with Tom Brady, it's not really a surprise. But when Debo Samuel credited Jimmy Garoppolo's leadership ability, it immediately made me think of that video. Um, and if you if you haven't seen it, hit me up on Twitter. I will find the link. I'll send it to you. But it's, and it's like a 10-minute video. It shows just multiple angles of, of that game-winning drive against the Titans at Levi's Stadium and what Jim Garoppolo said after the game to the media. It's really, really awesome. It was really cool. But if you haven't seen that, hit me up and I will and I will make sure I send it to you because it's awesome. And when Debo Samuel talked about Jimmy Garoppolo leading the group of wide receivers, contacting them over Zoom trying to set up some type of workout so they can start working on their chemistry, it just it made me think of that because a lot of Garoppolo's value and a quarterback's value comes in that type of personality and that type of leadership and having a coach that's on the field. So I thought that was interesting. Another thing that that was, that was he said was is he was working out with Adrian Peterson, running back in Washington. Um, Trent Williams, new 49ers left tackle, who was replacing the retired Joe Staley. And then he said he was working out with Jarek McKinnon. And he said they were some of the hardest workouts he's ever had in his life. And I, I don't doubt that. To be an NFL caliber player, you have to continually be pushing yourself. You can never – you can never do workouts that were easier than what you did last year. If you want to stay in the league, otherwise somebody's going to be pushing harder behind you and, and that's it. It's like the old Jim Harbaugh quote that was, I don't know. I don't think it was a Jim Harbaugh quote, but it was, he had that on the doors when he was the head coach of the 49ers. You're either getting better or you're getting worse. You never stay the same, you know, which is, is what I tell my players that I coach in middle school. It's like, look, you're either going to be out here getting better. Or you're, going to be getting, you're going to be getting worse. You, you choose what you're doing. And so it's, it's cool to see Debo Samuel training with guys who obviously have already shown a, a, a caliber of excellence. But the interesting name there to me is Jarek McKinnon. And I've, you guys have heard me talk about this before. Jarek McKinnon to me is like the 49ers biggest X, X factor of 2020. Now that could easily be dashed and thrown into the wind. If, if he doesn't make the 53 man roster, But the 49ers kept him around for a reason, despite the fact that he struggled with a knee injury over the past two years. They paid him all that money. He never got to see a snap. He tore his ACL right before the season. He had complications with it. It took him out for, you know, the 2019 season as well. And he hasn't really gotten to see the field after a big contract. So you have a lot of people that are down on him. But if he's healthy and he's going through the same workouts as Debo Samuel and he's ready to roll – to me, he's one of the 49ers' biggest X factors of next season because Kyle Shanahan has a massive opinion of Jarek McKinnon's abilities. And I do, too. I watched him healthy through that training camp. I mean, I guess you can say I was one of the few people that got to see what Jarek McKinnon looked like in the 49ers' offense. I mean, you could, you could there was a little bit of preseason there, but, you know, that's preseason. You know, I saw what they were running in training camp and how much he was implemented and how – how well he was catching the ball in space, and you know he's just a Jerick McKinnon's essentially a receiver in the backfield, who's also a decent running back. He's not a great running back, but he's a good running back. He's capable, um, but he is a receiver in the backfield, and he and he's a, and he runs routes like a receiver, and he catches the ball like a receiver. He puts his hands out and catches the ball away from his body. You know, he looks confident when he catches the ball. So if he makes the roster, I believe McKinnon will be one of the 49ers' biggest biggest difference makers this year. You know, him and Raheem Mostert could be an, an incredible tandem. But we'll see. You know, we'll see how Tevin Coleman continues to work himself in there. And, and I don't know. It, it could just as easily develop into into nothing. And McKinnon doesn't have an impact. Because he's still overcoming those injuries. He's got competition. You know, it's a it's a Super Bowl caliber roster and spots are gonna be limited. I don't know, but I, I I really have I'm really, really, really interested to see what McKinnon does this year. It's gonna be interesting. I mean that's the most exciting way to describe it, right? Interesting. That's good 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 words. They're louder. It's gonna be exciting. I'm looking forward to watching it. Because McKinnon's got an interesting skill set and Kyle Shanahan didn't try to hide his disappointment after the injury. And he basically said to the media, I had to scrap like half my playbook when McKinnon went down because that's how often he was going to be utilized. Just imagine, even if he's not catching the ball, just imagine what having him in the backfield and consistently running routes, what that does, it just opens up the field. Kicks the guy out of there. You got to put a linebacker in, on McKinnon and McKinnon runs a little out route under the flat and that linebacker dumps out, but then you've got routes coming over the middle. And there's just more space. You know, if, if that is a receiver that they have to respect and really, you know, game plan for, it changes things. So we'll see. Another funny Jared McKinnon storyline was, was uh, Grant Cohn of Now Sports Illustrated, congratulations Grant, uh, wrote an article about how the 49ers couldn't depend on Jared McKinnon. And anybody listening, if you know Grant and the way Grant is on Twitter, he's a, he's a, he's like, speaking of WWE, he's like a WWE heel. These guys aren't actually bad people, but it's their job to, to turn heads and grab some reactions. And I have, I've known Grant for a few years now, having, you know, during, you know, through the 49ers media, and Grant is a frickin' awesome dude. He's hilarious. He's funny to talk to. His personality is nothing like how he presents himself online. And even that's still not an insult to Grant. You could just tell that Grant knows what he's doing online. And he loves to get reactions out of people. But, again, I've met Grant in person. I've done, you know, um, periscopes with him. And he's, he's a hilarious dude. And he's very genuine and he's kind. But... He loves doing his thing online. And Jarek McKinnon saw that article and replied to it, and what did he say? Without a filter, I love this shit. Keep it coming. Because the title of the article was, the 49ers can't count on Jarek McKinnon. And then, and then Kendrick Bourne, 49ers receiver, replied to Jarek McKinnon and said, bro, I swear I love it more like they love seeing that that stuff. So that's funny. And and Grant wasn't necessarily talking down on McKinnon. He went on to say that McKinnon didn't do anything wrong. He just got hurt. And the 49ers can't count on him. You know, which I don't I I I agree with in that sense. Like you can't just place a bunch of chips in Jarrett McKinnon's corner. When he's still coming back from that injury, he still needs to prove himself within the offense. He still needs to kind of, you know, obviously Shanahan has a lot of faith in his ability, but there's a lot of work to be done there. So I understand what Grant was saying, but I had to get that little bit in because Grant is is an awesome person. He's hilarious. He's, you know, having met him, but what he goes for online and what he gets, the reactions are awesome. It's hilarious sometimes, but just try not to take him too seriously when it comes through Twitter. You know, don't get upset by Grant because Grant knows what he's doing. I promise. All right, so we're going to get a quick word in from our sponsors. And after that, we're going to go through the 49er schedule, which has been released since the last time we were on here. So quick word from Bet Online. You all know how it is. You know how the sports landscape is out there. There's no NBA, there's no NHL, there's no MLB. You might think there's nothing to bet on. You're wrong. Our exclusive partner, bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on from their online casino to poker to blackjack. They can bring Vegas to you. Everybody loves Vegas. Missing the NFL? No problem. BetOnline has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations that you can bet on. You can still bet on shows like Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, or you can bet on the stock prices and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. It's all open 24 hours a day, and it's all online, which is exactly the way we need it during these times. So go to betonline.ag, use promo code BLUEWIRE, and join today, and you're going to receive a welcome bonus. They'll give you free money. BetOnline is your online wagering solution and following that up, we have Blue Chew. Guys, if you're looking to get if you're looking to last longer, go a few extra rounds if you know what I'm saying. Get to bluechew.com. Bluechew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. Kicking it up a notch. They've got some active ingredients, they've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra, that's in Cialis, so you know that they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once you're approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free... That's free 99 when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. All you're paying is $5 to ship it. Again, that's Blue BlueChew, dot com. promo code BLUEWIRE. Okay. Got that out of the way. How are y'all doing? Hopefully you're still hanging around. You've been able to tolerate my voice consistently for half an hour. I won't bug you too much longer, but I do appreciate the fact that you guys are sticking around, and I do appreciate the fact that you have, at this point, waded through the disappointment in the fact that Crocker's not here to bounce off me. You know, we go, we, we're a good pair, we're good, we're a good partnership, and um, I miss him. I miss him. But anyways. I'm just clicking on some tabs here. I had all these tabs open just for what I'm talking about. Okay, so 49ers, since we've last been on here, the 49ers released their 2020 schedule, which went in contradiction to so many stupid rumors you saw out there about all the, you know, the division, not the, you know, not the NFC West games, the, the other divisional games being pushed up front and then the NFC games being pushed in the back. And it, it's, it's a normal schedule for the most part. Okay. So I'm just going to run through it real quick. September 13th is week 1. The 49ers are going to play the Cardinals at home. I believe this is the first 49ers home opener for week 1 since like 2017, so it's been a couple of years. The 49ers are going to open up week 1 against the Cardinals. Then they're then they're traveling to New York to face the Jets and then they'll probably hang around on the East Coast because right after that they face the Giants. And then they're coming back to face the Eagles at home. And the 49ers right here have three consecutive home games against the Eagles, the Dolphins, and the Rams. It's an interesting stretch there. Okay, Then they have two consecutive away games. And this is kind of, the way you look at this, this is kind of a rough set of games. To, because the 49ers play week seven. They play, they play at the Patriots, at Fox, Foxborough. And then they go at Seahawks. So they have to go across the country and then come back across the country and then travel to the Seahawks and then they're back at home. So, I mean, I guess it's not that crazy because the trip from Santa Clara to Seattle is really short. The flight's like an hour, hour and 15, hour and 30, no more than that. So, I mean, I guess traveling to Seattle is not that big a deal. Um, But on November 5th, my birthday... The 49ers come back week nine to face the Packers at home. I'm sure the Packers are going to be chomping at the bit at that one. 49ers have really, they really put it on them last year, both games. And then again, week 10, they're at the Saints. Let's hope that that game is anything like it was last time. And contrary to last season, the 49ers get a week 11 bye, which is not bad. Kind of tucked in there towards the middle of the season. I believe last year it was either week four or week five. That sucks because you're getting your bye out of the way early, and then you just have a whole re- essentially a whole rest of the season of consecutive games. So week 11 bye, that's nice. Almost splits the season in half. Um, then they're at Rams week 12, week 13, home game against the Bills, week 14, home game against Washington, week 15, they're at the Dallas Cowboys, baby. That's going to be a fun one. Week 16 is still to be determined. It'll be shortly after Christmas, um, likely, and that's at Arizona. And then to close out the season, just like they did last year, they are hosting the Seahawks rather than traveling there, um, which, who knows, could come down to the division again. We'll see. Interesting schedule. Now, a lot of the talk you've seen about strength of schedule a lot of that is based off 2019 win totals. And if you're going off 2019 win totals, the 49ers would have the fourth hardest schedule, which makes sense given they are a Super Bowl-caliber team. They just got done competing for a Super Bowl. Um, so you get a tougher schedule. But, you know, the Vegas guys, they do their thing. And Vegas is like, un- they're not undefeated, but... Vegas is always right on. How many times have you watched a game, the over-under was at like three, and it ended up being a four-point game or a two-point game or a three-point game? It's incredible how often they are right. And so what basically Warren Sharp did on Twitter is he established, he basically said a better way to consider 2020 strength of schedule is by using projected 2020 win totals from the betting market. Because like I said, the betting market is insanely accurate. There's obviously surprises all the time. But as far as a, a bigger sample size, the, the betting market is really accurate. And if you're taking that, and, and it makes sense, too, because if you're ta- talking about 2020 projected wins, are the Patriots going to win as many games next year as they did in 2019? Um, I don't think so. Unless they make a miraculous move at quarterback, I don't think the 40, the Patriots are going to win anywhere near as many games they did last year with Tom Brady. So if you're looking at that, the, that would place the 49ers as the 17th most difficult schedule, right in the middle. Okay? So, you know, if, if that is the case and if that ends up panning out, then that would, you know, that's an incredible break for the 49ers having that type of schedule. But again, it doesn't always work out that. How many, you know, what were the projected wins for the 49ers in 2019 before the season was it 13 and 3 probably not so there's always surprises there's always outliers there's always changes but that's interesting if the 49ers come away with anything close to the 17th ranked schedule good on them for a team that just went to the super bowl for contrast the chiefs were that yeah the chiefs would have the 10th highest ranked schedule they're up in the more difficult than average. Let me see. Let me make sure I'm reading this right. Easier than average above. No. Wait. Tenth easiest? The Chiefs, the, the Colts, are up there by themselves at number one up in the corner. It's a graph that basically looks like a diagonal line left to right. Um, so the 49ers are right in the middle. They're, the, they're right in the middle next to the Seahawks. The Chiefs um, are 10th. So, and it says that's been easier than above average. So, I mean, I guess as far as that goes, both the 49ers and the Chiefs made out. So, let's go through, let's offer some thoughts and predictions for this schedule. Okay. We all know that whatever I predict right now is going to be 100% accurate. It's the way it is. It's the way it's going to work out. Okay. And I'm going to try and approach this from a realistic standpoint. You know, I'm trying to put myself right before that game. What do I think the 49ers are going to do? Truth be told, I didn't think the 49ers were going to beat the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Especially watching what the Chiefs did to, like, Texans earlier, I just didn't think it was going to happen. Up until six minutes before the end of that game, I was, you know, happily wrong. You know, I'm and like I said, I'm not trying to be any. I'm not trying to be a downer. I'm, I'm just trying to approach these things from a realistic standpoint. I did not think the 49ers were going to beat the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Of course, I thought they had a chance. It wasn't like I thought it was going to be a blowout. I didn't think they were going to win. I was insanely impressed with that team going, you know, up until the six minute point of that game. Basically, the 49ers were still winning 20 to 10 when I thought they lost the game, and that was when they picked off Patrick Mahomes. In the, pretty much close, pretty close to the red zone, when the Chiefs were driving, the Chiefs just drove like fifty or sixty yards, and then Patrick Mahomes threw that pass that was tipped and intercepted by Tarvarius Moore. And the 49ers, I believe, after that went like four and out. They got one first down and had to punt. And at that that was the moment where I was like, okay, this is this game's over, because the Chiefs had just driven like sixty yards with a quickness. The, the off 49ers offense put took no time off the board gave the defense no rest, and the Chiefs offense went right back out and immediately scored. And the 49ers offense crapped the bed again. Chiefs immediately scored again. So <clears throat> that was just like when the 49ers, when the 49ers intercepted that pass from Mahomes and then did nothing on offense, I felt like that was the moment where the, the little kid at the very top of the snowy hill dropped the snowball. And that's when it started rolling, building up steam. You know what I mean? So I'm just trying – the only reason I mentioned the 49ers in the Super Bowl was because, you know, I tried it. I didn't think they were going to win. I try to have a realistic thing. You know, I, I don't want to let, you know, fandom or, you know, my my love for the 49ers and their players and wanting to see them succeed. And, you know, have, you know you talk to the coaches, you talk to the players so often, you want to see them succeed. You want to see them be happy. Um, so you know, I try not to let that cloud what, I, what it is I, I truly believe is going to happen. So, you know, anyways. Week one against the Cardinals, I believe the 49ers win that game, despite the fact that the Cardinals gave the 49ers everything they can handle in both games last year. Um, What's interesting, too, is I believe the 49ers are favored by, like, 10 points in that game. I don't think it's going to be like that. I don't think the 49ers are going to blow out the Cardinals, who looked good last year. The Cardinals beat beat the Seahawks last year. Um, They should have beaten the 49ers at least one of those times, if it weren't for Jimmy G just going nuts. You know, but I think the 49ers open the season up with a win against the Cardinals at home. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sign off against them in something like that. Then you have two weeks on the road against the Jets and the Giants. I think the 49ers win both of those games. The 49ers have been solid on the road under, you know, as of late, they've been good on the road, and I don't feel like the Jets or the Giants really present any significant problems. Okay, so now we're at 3-0, and I, I feel like looking at this schedule, it might feel a lot like the 49ers in 2019. How many games did they win in a row? Seven, eight, something like that ridiculous amount of games. I, you know, I, I could punch away at the keyboards and look it up exactly right now, but I don't remember. They won uh, quite a few in a row, and I feel like this schedule sets itself up to be like that. Eagles week four back at home at Levi Stadium early October. I'm giving it to the 49ers again. Eagles are a playoff team. They were solid last year, but I don't think they're anywhere near on the 49ers level. I just don't. I mean, like I said, this stuff changes every year, but I just don't. Week five, Dolphins. Dolphins could be decent. They could be interesting. We'll see what's going on in the quarterback and if Tua's doing his thing, but I'm going to give that another win to the 49ers. That's 5-0 and o right now. Week six against the Rams. If the Rams are anything close to what they were last year, then that's – well, I mean, shoot, that second game against the Rams was close as hell. First one was a blowout. Second one was saved by a Jimmy Garoppolo deep pass to Emmanuel Sanders and busted coverage. But I'm going to give him another win there. I still think the 49ers are quite a bit better than the Rams. So now you're looking at 6-0. and Am I being overly optimistic? Am I being unrealistic? I don't think so. I mean if, if if it's not 6 and 0 oh, maybe it, what are you unless the bottom is really falling out what are you looking at 5 and 2 which is still great you know like if you're trying to just throw a little bit more negativity towards it but I'm going with 6 and 0 oh, through the first 6 weeks week 7 at Patriots it's unless the Patriots make some crazy change to their quarterback situation I'm taking another win for the 49ers at Patriots. And I wish this schedule. Let me go back. Let me find a different schedule. Because this one does not designate prime time games. And I want to see that. So you're going to have to give me a couple seconds. Clicking, clicking. 2020 schedule. Here we go. I think that matters when you're talking about these games. I think it does. Okay, so you have – okay, the week four game against the Eagles at home is a Sunday night football game. So 49ers are going to gonna be playing under the lights in week four against the Eagles. Then they have the Dolphins and Rams, who I think they'll beat as well. Then they're traveling to New England to face the Patriots. The reason I brought up this other schedule is because I wanted to see if that was a primetime game. It's not. It's an afternoon game. Um, and then you have at Seahawks, week eight. I think that might be the 49ers' first loss of the year. Obviously, the 49ers just proved with their last time going there that they can beat the, Seah- the Seahawks in Seattle. The Joe Staley spike, baby. But I think that that's the first time I can, I can, I can without, you know, I'm, I don't feel like I'm convincing myself that the 49ers could win or could lose in Seattle feel like that's a, that's a you know that'll be a tight spread. We'll see how the season unfolds, but I feel like that could be their first loss. So we're looking at we're looking at 8 and 1. Is anybody upset at that? I hope not. 49ers if if it went down like that, the 49ers would have gone in on a 7 and 0 undefeated streak before losing their first game to Seattle in Seattle. Okay. Week 9, Thursday night football at home against the Green Bay Packers. What the hell do you think I'm going to say? That's a dub. I don't know what's going on between the 49ers and Green Bay, but Kyle Shanahan, Robert Sala, they have that team on lock. They have their number. I'm going with another win for the 49ers. So right now the 49ers are sitting at 8-1. and one. Week 10 at Saints. I'm just going to go lost loss in this one. (laughs) Could they beat the Saints? Absolutely. Come on now. Absolutely. They already did. It was such an amazing game. I'm going to go with a loss on this one. Like I said, gut, gut. It's at the Saints, uh, you know, depending on how, I don't know. Man, that's tough. I'm gonna go with a close loss against the Saints in New Orleans. So now the 49ers are at eight and two. Okay, probably still right up there near the top of the NFC. Week twelve at LA. I'm gonna go with another win. I don't I don't know if the Rams are gonna I don't know. Traded away Todd Gurley or they released Todd Gurley. You know, they you know they got rid of Brandon Cooks. I don't know. I just, I'm not sure what the Rams are going to be capable of next year, but I'm going to go with another win. So we're 10-2. and Week 13 versus the Bills on Monday night football. The Bills are a respectable team, but I'm going to give the 49ers another win on that one. They're at home. It's on Monday night. They love that shit. I'm going to give the 49ers another win. So what are we, 11-2? Yep. At home against the Redskins, another win. We're at 12-2 at Dallas Cowboys. Never really know what to expect from the Cowboys. I feel like the Cowboys can light it up whenever they get their shit together, but sometimes they just crap the bed because they're the Cowboys. That's Sunday night football at Dallas. I'm going to give the 49ers another win there. I feel like the 49ers are quite a bit better than the Cowboys. But like I said, the Cowboys have that potential to blow up at any moment. And now you've got CeeDee Lamb stepping in there with Amari Cooper. Whew, I don't know. Ezekiel Elliott, they have all the makings there to just be super potent. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. So, okay. So win at Dallas. I know you guys are, are, you know, clenching your fists at that one. Yeah, beat the, the Cowboys. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to go with a win there. What is that, 13-2? At Cardinals, I'm going to go with loss here. At Cardinals, I I feel like the 49ers are still the better team, but I feel like the Cardinals had an amazing draft, an amazing offseason. They got DeAndre Hopkins. They last year played the 49ers incredibly well. Could have beaten them in both games. I got to give them one here in Arizona. Got to give them one. I'm just trying to give them a little bit of respect. Okay, so we're at 13-3, and three, going up against the Seattle Seahawks at home week 17. This is supposed to be a Sunday afternoon game, right? Yeah, right. That shit's getting flexed so hard. <laughs> I'm going to give the 49ers a win on that one. They're at home. Week 17, there's going to be something on the line. There's got to be, unless, like I said, unless the bottom falls out for one of those two teams, there's got to be something on the line that week. I'm giving it to the 49ers, and that gives them what? A 13 and – excuse me, not 13 and 3. Yeah, 13 and 3 season? i got to go through and have this. At some point, I lost track of where I was, and you guys are probably all yelling at me. Win, 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 okay. Win, 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 win. Yeah, I think I have them at 13-3 and three again. Losses to the Cardinals, losses to the Saints, and losses to Seattle in Seattle. 13-3, and three, folks. That is my 2020 prediction. I, I'm assuming that'll be enough to earn the number one seed, but you never know with all the other teams. That would get them in another buy, putting themselves in the exact same position they were in this year. A buy with the new playoff format is incredibly important. Now the number two seed does not get a buy. Obviously they get to they get to host all the games at home. Um but you know that, that number one seed is is and just think about 2019. How easy did it seem for the 49ers to get to the Super Bowl? They beat the cramp out of the Vikings, they beat the crap out of the Packers, boom, they're in the Super Bowl. You know, it's not supposed to feel like that. So if the 49ers could put themselves in the same position in 2020, With all this added experience for all these young, talented players, man, that's dangerous. So there it is, 13-3. I hope I did okay. I hope you guys are proud of me. I can't believe I've talked for 50 minutes by myself. Please don't hate me for this. I'm just happy to be here with you guys, trying to hold up the mantle that me and Crocker established. But that's it. My 2020 prediction for the 49ers is 13-3. And Let's say at worst they drop a couple surprising games. You're talking 11 and five. Still a great season in the playoffs. I believe they're in the playoffs for sure. But the NFL is wildly unpredictable, especially with all the uh, COVID-19 stuff and the way these off-season teams are gonna, or way these teams are gonna be able to prepare this off-season. Who knows what to expect? Um, but yeah, that's it. I 13 and three. Hit me up on Twitter. Let me know what you guys think at Rob underscore louder. Let me know if I'm way off, if I'm too negative, too up, you know, too positive. Either way, it's all good. It's all good. Just a prediction, just having fun over here by myself without my partner in crime, who is, again, on his way to Arkansas to uh, spend a couple of years there, finish up school, get some stuff moving for him. Be on the lookout for his website, Crocker Report. He's taken all that incredible work he's been doing on Twitter evaluating players and funneling it into a website it's going to be awesome Um, it's got an awesome logo ask Crocker who designed that for him you might like the answer yeah that's it I appreciate you guys hopefully you enjoyed this podcast again I'm sorry Crocker wasn't here hopefully I did us justice here on Striking Gold Um, and I believe that's it
0: 13-3-2020
1: write it down hit me up on Twitter tell me I'm wrong tell me I'm right Love you guys. This is Striking Gold, signing out.